This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's a timeless story. A story of graciousness and grandeur. Come walk in the footsteps of the Vanderbilt family and experience all that Biltmore has to offer. Plan your stay at Biltmore.com. There is an happy ammo. I'm, I'm a little bit confused. A little disconcerted, slightly dazzled and bemused. We're waiting for the crash to come and then we win again as David Boise's company boys continue this campaign. Now, by this time, most seasons would be on that slippery slope. With our cockney optimism replaced by it and hope. <laughs> but here we are, we're flying on at fifth place in the league. With dreams of European football now floating on the breeze. Falls of Barcelona or, or Paris Saint-Germain. With our bubbles flying over the San Siro or even in Milan. If I'm being honest, I'm quite happy where we are. <laughs> Three points off at Tottenham, I'd be happier by far. <laughs> Yeah, of course it isn't over. But we're over halfway through. There's still some tough games yet to come, and I'm sure a shot or two. But I'll ride this magic carpet ride and enjoy these lofty views. But I have to say, as an happy Emma, I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> come on, you irons. You're listening to the Westland Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi. Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an ex-WHU employee. After beating Sheffield United on Monday, we found ourselves fourth in the league after 24 games. After Chelsea's win, we're now fifth, but six points in front of Tottenham, eight points in front of Arsenal and two points in front of Champions Liverpool. What a season this is becoming and what a party we're going to have at home if we beat that mob on Sunday. We'll be talking about a variety of topics before getting our weekly fix from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. That's all coming up on tonight's show. X, another podcast and another win to reflect on, this time against Sheffield United. What are your thoughts after the game on Monday, mate? 
Well, mate, loving it, loving life right now in terms of West Ham. I mean, it's an absolute buzz, isn't it? Going to games, expecting us to win, expecting us to play well, um, and they deliver. And I think, bearing in mind all the pre-match uh, drama, not having a forward and all the negativity that always appears on social media, to go and win so convincingly on the on the back of that. And I actually really enjoyed our attacking play at times. I thought it was a really good result. Loads and loads of positives. Looking at the league table is like a dream at the moment. And to think that, you know, we're coming towards the end of February and we are genuinely in the European hunt is just amazing considering how I thought this season would go. So, yeah, absolutely buzzing. Oh, me too. I mean, it's a pinch yourself moment because, again, it's not as if we're 10 games in, 24 games in now. And this is a really good gauge as to where you think you're going to be there or thereabouts. So to look at us in fifth is just incredible. And let's, let's not forget, after the win itself, we were full for a short time. So it's been an incredible season so far. It really has. Going into the Sheffield United game, I was a bit worried about complacency, to be honest. I mean, we've seen us switch off so many times in the past against lower league opposition that we should be beating. But that wasn't the case. I mean, was it the perfect performance? No. Um, was it even a 3-0 game? In my opinion, probably not. Uh, I did get frustrated at times with our lack of possession, certainly in the early part of the game anyway. But um, whilst you could argue, I think we rode our lack a little bit with some of the chances they had, we won the game 3-0. And I'm absolutely buzzing with that. And it's all about the result, I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, yeah, 100%, mate. Especially on the back of very disappointing seasons. You know, there's an argument like if you were finishing, say, say we'd finished 10th in a row for three seasons and the football was not great you might think right let's try something different let's try and play some amazing football and see what happens but when when you've been in relegation battles like we have since we moved to the stadium for me this season was all about just making sure we weren't in a relegation battle and if possible we finished as close to mid-table as possible I never would have thought we would have been in the um in the Europa what's the Champions League recognition uh, reckoning sorry or the Europa League um but we are and uh, you know yes you want your team to win four five nil and play amazing football you do but ultimately you want your team to win and at the moment I'm really really happy with what we're being delivered by everyone the the manager and the players I just think it's a really good time to be a fan you know like the fact is we are you know, fighting with Chelsea at the moment to be the, the top London team and to get in that Champions League spot and we're above Liverpool in the league. You'd said to me, come February the 17th, we'd be above Liverpool in the league. I'd have been like, what the fuck are you talking about? But we are, and it's and it's amazing. It's, it's really, really nice to experience this. It's like the last time we had a team that were playing like this was the last season at Upton Park. And then the time mm. before that was a long time before that. You know, that we're talking like end of the end of the 90s, really. So in my lifetime, this has got to be up there with one of the most enjoyable seasons. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's been an incredible season. And something else that's incredible is that we haven't had a penalty all season. Then we get two in one game. Yeah. <laughs> um, one was disallowed, as we know. The other was given. And the little disagreement between Rice and Lingard reminded me a little bit of Decanio and Lampard, a slightly more watered-down version. But what did you make of that little exchange? Um, to be honest with you, I'm glad that Declan took the penalty. I think it would have been a absolute um, disaster if he'd given that penalty to Lingard because as a captain, 
of the club as well. You know, with Lampard at the time, he wasn't the captain. He was the young lad. It was the Canio, who I, I think was the captain at the time, trying to take the ball off him. So that way around, you can kind of understand the power struggle. But when when you're a captain, you cannot have the new signing take the ball off you when you are the penalty taker. It just undermines your authority as captain. So I'm even if Declan had taken it and missed it, I'm glad he took that penalty because I think it would have really undermined him. Um, I can understand why Lingard wanted it. He obviously got the penalty. And was buzzing from it. And I think he's taken penalties before, but the, as I said, and the podcast listeners have benefited from des- <laughs> designated penalty taker has been rice for a long time. We just haven't been able to see it because we haven't got a penalty, obviously. So you have to stick with the penalty taker that was chosen before the game. You know, there was another scenario in West Ham's history, if you remember, when um, it was Paul Kitson and John Hartson, and Hartson was the designated penalty taker. Kitson was um, had scored two goals, so Hart and we were two nil up. So Hartson let him have the penalty to make it um, free and get his hat trick. He missed, and then we went and drew the game to all. And that yeah. was a game. <clears throat> that was a season when we were in a relegation battle. Now I, I, I really, I was a bit pissed off with Lingard for that. Don't get me wrong. I think Lingard has been um, has been sensational, and I love the signing. I was very pro the signing when I knew about it, and I've been delighted since he has joined. But you've got your captain, who's a young lad. Don't forget, still your captain about to take a penalty at nil-nil. You don't need to put that pressure on him. You need to be more professional. Shouldn't have put that pressure on him by trying to take the penalty of him, because if he'd missed it, that would have been a lot of shit on Declan's shoulders for that. But thankfully, he backed down, and thankfully, Declan scored it, so we move on. But, and I think it's all been taken in good spirits, and they've moved on from it. But, yeah, I, I don't don't like to see it. I don't like to criticise Lingo, because like I say, it's been amazing. But you're a professional. You, you knew that Rice was the penalty taker beforehand. You don't try and take it off him. If it was 5 nil, then maybe, but not in that scenario. Mm, I think you're absolutely spot on about the unwanted pressure to put on a penalty taker. That's the last thing you want to do. So like you, I wasn't happy to see it. Um, what is agreed in a changing room and on a training ground should be set in stone. End of story. And like you say, Declan's a skipper and thank God he put it away. And what a penalty it was. I can see why he's on pins. A great, great penalty. Um, however, on the flip side, I love seeing Jesse's overwhelming desire to score goals. Every yeah. striker should be the same. And he's the same when he's got the ball at his feet. He's always looking to make something happen. I think he's such an exciting player. And, you know, it's funny. We've often said ourselves on this show about people like Declan Rice. How does no one else see what a great player he is? I know Lingard has played for England, but I've never really taken the time to, I suppose, appreciate him when he was at Man United. But since he's been at West Ham, I know he's only played a few games, but he looks like one hell of a player. And I can totally see why he's going to be knocking on Southgate's door. Because he should be, you know. He's, he's got so much to his game. The hunger, the desire, shooting from outside the box, the runs that he makes, his pace. He's got a bit of trickery. And he knows where the goal is. I mean, what a signing. What a signing. I, I was buzzing when we signed him. And I don't mean to be arrogant. But I knew this is what we were getting. Because <laughs> I knew we were getting an energetic, um, skillful, hardworking midfielder. His social media stuff seems to have really affected people's judgment on him. And I've included a lot of West Ham fans on this because I've read my timeline where people are like, we don't want that wanker. He's more interested in you know, YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Um, but... 
I think that's actually wrong. Having spoke to a few people that know him, and it's funny, actually, I'm not going to name drop too many people, but when I actually wrote a positive comment about Lingard before he signed, just saying, look, I, the guy is meant to be really likeable. The players want him to sign. He's meant to be a good lad. And I got that from a couple of players. But I also then got a message from someone that works in England, for England, the English FA, messaged me, DM'd me. I don't even know that I followed him or he followed me. So when that happened, I don't, God knows when that was. It must have been when I first started. Um, he um, said, you've got that spot on. He's a top lad. Thank you for putting that out there. There's a lot of wrong press about him. He's actually a diamond geezer. I've never spoke to that guy before. And I looked him up and it is, it is who he says he is for England. So that he... I think there is that misconception out there that he is this, like, this, I don't know, I guess prick, I guess is the right word, but he doesn't appear to be that way. He seems to be a really likeable lad. He's a very good player. And one thing I will always say, and this is going to sound a bit black or white, but one thing I don't really get about West Ham fans, and it's always been the case for me, yes, there are exceptions, but generally, if a player plays for Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, any of those team, Manchester City, that are challenging regularly for the league. And he's got in that team regularly for a number of years and he's not even been decimated by injuries or is now old, then they are generally usually good enough to play for West Ham. I, I, I know that sounds like a very obvious thing to say, but the amount of times I see West Ham fans say, oh, like, I don't want Giroud when he was playing well for Arsenal. Look how well he's done for Chelsea since then. Oh, I don't want Lukaku. I mean, look what like, he's done. You know, I, oh, I don't want, um, you know, I, there's just endless amounts of people. Like Chris Smalling, you know, he left, people didn't want him. He left um, Manchester United is doing well at Roma. Now one of the best Italian teams. Like, I think, honestly, honestly, if you can play regularly for a top four team and your national side, then you are generally good enough to play for West Ham. I, say, I, I know that sounds belittling, but it's true because look at Manchester United. Lingard has been under Ferguson. Anyone that gets recognised by Ferguson is a decent talent. You know, generally, he's going to be right. Then he was obviously with Moyes for a bit, who loaned out. But then he started to play under Van ha Van der Howe, whatever his name was. Um, and any and, and I think Mourinho played him. You know, all top managers have played him, so he must be decent. So Moyes knew what he was getting when he signed him. Um, England managers have picked him, so there's gonna be talent there. Um, and when, like I say, when West Ham fans say, "Oh, I don't want this guy," and he's been a regular for Manchester, like people didn't want John Stones. You know, people say, oh, why do we want him? He's shit, he can't get in the Man City team. Well, he was just off form. He's got back into the Man City team now. Look at him. You know, people don't want Phil Jones. Okay, Phil Jones, there is question marks over because he's been injured, thrown a lot. But he would still be a decent signing if he can get anywhere near what he was at some point playing for Manchester United. And I think it's really strange on West Ham fans to dismiss these players so quickly. Mm, it's an interesting point. It's certainly food for thought. Not, not really given that much thought, but um, I think there's definitely some truth in what you're saying there. Definitely. Think about it, mate. If they're getting in these top teams, like, and you look at, you look at, say, for example, Chelsea. How many different managers have Chelsea had in recent years? If you've got a player that's played consistently for them, like Giroud has, or um, 
or other players, then they're going to have a decent standard. Giroud has been linked with us continuously. Every time I see him linked with us, fans don't want him. Yes, he's now getting old. He's like, what, 33, 34? But he's been a regular for the best national team in the world, and he's played for certainly one, if not two at the time, best teams in England. Then when West Ham are a lower, we're not now, but when we're in the lower elements of the league, they are good enough to play for West Ham. I just think, yes, there's one or two exceptions, one or two, but anyone that is a consistently play for those sides would be good enough. Like I said, unless injuries or um, something more like age or something sinister's changed them, if they're still round about what they were when they were playing for those teams, they're good enough for us. Or the old West Ham, maybe we've moved on now. But certainly of us of a year ago, which is why Lingard is having the impact he's having. And, you know, I think I think brilliant. I love him. I think he's a great player. He's exciting. Runs with the ball. Looks to shoot. Creates things. Energetic. Perfect signing. I love the fellow. I think he's a brilliant player. Mm. Lanzini started over Ben Rama. Can you understand that decision? Um, I understand it ta- tactically because I think what he wanted to happen, Moyes, was a com- like it, it was passing interchanges of the three of Bowen, Lanzini, and the Lingard, and that one would drop into midfield whilst the other two were up front, and they would swap round and they'd go to the left and to the right, so that the centre backs and the defensive midfielders didn't necessarily know which one they were picking up because they were moving around so much. So I definitely understand the tactics behind bringing Lanzini. In. Unfortunately, um, Lanzini just isn't the player he used to be, and that's injury-related ever since he got that injury, which at the time I was reporting could be career-ending. I just don't think he's the same player now, unfortunately, and he was the only, he's the, you know, I always say don't change a winning team. I always say that. But he is the one person I would still consider changing from that team because I don't think he played. He was okay. He did. There was at one point a brilliant through ball. Can't remember who it was to. He did all right. I thought he played okay. But he is the one player I would consider dropping from that team. Yeah, I mean, there was a few patrons that kind of had his back after the game, and I think you're right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he had a bad game, but I I just find him ineffective and I know he can be involved in goals and assists but typically he does that in a deep line role but I don't want him to be one of those players that gets the ball and releases it to one of the attacking players I want him to be one of those who receives the ball and makes something happen I mean maybe I'm clinging on to the Lanzini of 2015 but X in three years since 2018 and I hope I've got these stats right apologies if I haven't but he's played 46 games for West Ham and only delivered two goals and four assists. Yes, you can argue that it's been tough for him since his injury. Yes, you can argue that a number of those appearances have been as a substitute. But I look at that bottom black and white line and it's just not good enough. Yeah, I agree with you. I think at 28 now, <clears throat> which was his birthday um, against um, Sheffield United, um, I think... It is time, in my opinion, to move him on now. Um, I think he needs he needs a fresh start somewhere. I think we need someone else. I'd, like I said, he did do a couple of very good through balls. I, I wish I could remember which one. It's in my head. I can picture the through ball. I just can't remember who he played it to. Um, there was a couple of them he did really well. But 
I think Ben Rama influences games far more than Lanzini. I think Funaus has a lot more potential for future years to be of use to us than Lanzini. Um, so yeah, I, I, he was like I say, he was the one that I would consider dropping for the Spurs game. I thought Noble actually come on well and closed the game out when he came on. I think you even said that yourself on Twitter, and I think that's I think that's his place, really, Nobs, isn't it? And when you look at it, that's not disrespectful. That goes no. to show that he's still got a role to play at West Ham. Exactly that, mate. Exactly that. And this is what I've been trying to go on for for the next last couple of years. I'm not saying Noble should start games, and yes, when I see Noble starting games, unless it's like a cup game or, or you know, you can see that there's like a, in lots of injuries. When I see Noble starting games, I'm like, no, no, I don't agree with that. <clears throat> However, there is still a place for him on the bench 100%. And I take this into next season as well for him to come on, use his experience, slow the ball down, get possession, hold possession, and just basically close the game out, which is what I think he did against Sheffield United so well. I had people and I pulled him up for it, to be fair, to the, and unfortunately to the fella, because there was a number of people saying it. He's just the one I saw. Someone said to me, can't understand why he brought on Noble when he didn't, brought, and she should have brought on Fennels. I completely disagree. I mean, the, the decision to bring for, um, Noble on then was the right thing to do. The game was at 2-0. The game could hinge either side you know, we needed to close it out um, to make sure that we got the win <clears throat> and he played well. He kept the ball, he held on to it, he did what he needed to do and that is what you need for Mark Noble now. 20 minutes, 15 minutes at the end of the game to come on and do that and if it was up to me, if I was the manager, I'd give him a contract for next season and i say to him, yeah, you're still club captain. Declan's my captain on the pitch. I don't agree with Declan giving him the armband as soon as he comes as he comes on. No. I'd stop. I'd stop that. I'd say Declan, you're your captain on the pitch from now on. Nobs, you're obviously club captain. You're the ambassador, but Declan on the pitch, you're the captain. And then I'd say Nobs, you're on the bench, mate. You're going to be still got a big role to play in this team, and I would keep him for next season. Yeah, it was good to see Diop playing well again. Um... Got his goal. I mean, with a performance like that, is he knocking on the door? You can't drop him after that performance. I mean, I don't think you can anyway, because Ogbon is out for a month and Balbuena's resuming training tomorrow. So I don't think you can drop him anyway. But based on that performance, you you have to, in my opinion, and I know we have slightly different opinions on this, but you have to reward people for those performances. Otherwise, what incentive do they have? He came into the team, he scored a goal, he kept a clean sheet, he played well, so therefore you keep your place. And I, I think, yeah, good. And if we can, and let's be honest, if we can get him out of any of our centre-backs to be at the peak, he's the one you want to be. Because Ogbonna's 32 Balbuena's coming into his 30s. Dawson's coming into his 30s. Um, Cresswell's in his 30s. So he's the only one that's got age on his side. Are those centre-backs? So if any of them you want to start being your top defender, it's him for the for the long... Like, the the, the fact you'll get more out of him long-term. Um, so, yeah, he's got to keep his place, in my opinion. So, going back to one of our famous debates, which is... Do you change a winning team? You've always said that you shouldn't. So let yeah. me give you a scenario, right? And that scenario is that both Antonio and Agbonna are fully fit to play on Sunday. Yeah. Do you put them in? <clears throat> I would consider putting Antonio in because I think 
whilst we won 3-0, there's question marks over Lanzini. So whether it would be Antonio comes in or Ben Rama comes in, I would consider that. Possibly think Antonio's better off coming off the bench but um, in that game because we still ease him in with his hamstrings and so on. Um, but you you keep him, you, you you keep it like that. It's a good question with Ogbonna because obviously Ogbonna's been our best defender all season and, and is a hammer of the year contender for me. So I am in mixed minds about my answer to this. However, I think... I would still keep DF over Ogbonna. And I know people are going to disagree with me. It's that whole momentum, that whole winning mentality. Um, and yes, it'd be harsh on Ogbonna because he's been brilliant. But it, it, it keeps those fringe players on their toes, knowing if they get an opportunity they're gonna, and they impress, then they're going to get to keep their place. Because I think that's where you go wrong with a squad. If players come in, do amazing, but it doesn't matter what they do, they're straight back on the bench. That's when you get players that become unhappy and start to look for moves. But if you say to a player, look, I can't put you in at the moment, because look, Ogbonna's been one of our best players this year, they accept it, which is probably what Diop's done, but he's got his chance, he's came in, he's played brilliant. If you then take it off him, and you say to him, I don't think that's a great incentive. And you say to Ogbonna, look, mate, you're fucking unlucky. Because you're a hammer of the year at the moment. But you've got to understand I've got to reward him. And I think you have to go with it like that, personally. Well, do you know what? It's not often I disagree with you these days. I was thinking about this earlier. We agree yeah. on a hell of a lot when it comes to West Ham. Yeah. And uh, I do disagree with you on this. I, I mean, you know me. I've, I've always said you've got to play your best players. And, you know, flipping that on its head. How harsh is that on a Bonner? Because it's oh, not yeah. as if he's out because he's had two bad games out of 24. He's been exceptional and he's only out through injury. So you're almost kind of punishing him for picking up an injury. And at the same time, if that is then going to be the mindset moving forward, a player's going to avoid 50-50s and they're not going to get stuck in through fear of suspension because they think, well, if I spend a week or two out of the team, I will not get back in. It keeps players on their toes, mate, honestly. And I do understand what you're saying. That's a very, very fair point. And it would, and I, like I say, it would be bloody harsh and on Bonner, don't get me wrong. But it keeps players on their toes. The When teams start to, start to struggle, I think, is when there's no instant person to come in for them. Like when you're so reliant on someone, then they get complacent and they can't, and they can't motivate themselves as much now. It, and don't get me wrong, I'd be looking to get Ogbonna back into that team straight away. So I would be thinking, right, OK, we'll see how we go against Tottenham. <clears throat> if we lose to Tottenham 2-0, 3-0, whatever, then I'm going to get Ogbonna back into my team. But I just think it says it's just not a good message for you. I really don't think it is. I've got a really good question for you. Let's say we beat Tottenham convincingly. Diop is absolutely outstanding, scores the winning goal and is a brick wall. No one can get past him. Yeah. The following week, we're playing a flat back four with two centre halves and Diop, Dawson and Obana are all 100% match fit. Who are your two out of three? Uh, what Diop and Dawson have still played? Have still played well together for the, like the game. For yeah, four. well, Dawson's been exceptional since he's come yes, in. Yes, Bonner's uh, hammer of the year and uh, hammer of the year contender, and um, Diop is in fine form. I mean, it, it does. I mean, 
you, you could then potentially argue to Diop that you've played well in a five, but I think Ogbonna's is better in a four. I mean, you, you've then got that argument to say that it's it's tactical, which then you could, I think you can get away with a bit more because the player hopefully thinks, right, yeah, he's right. It was as a five. He doesn't want to play a five. He wants to go over four. He thinks Ogbonna's better in a four than me. I, I think... I think you can justify it a little bit then, but if you're continuing to play the five and Duke's playing sensational every week, then I just I think it's so hard to drop someone like that. I really, really do. Like, yeah. you know, when when it's when it's close in terms of ability, because yes, don't get me wrong, this season of Bonner's been a million times better than Duke. But let, let's be honest, Duke hasn't had that many chances. You know, if it was like <clears throat> let's say I don't know, David Martin came in for one game against Sheffield United and kept a clean sheet. And because Fabianski had been sent off the, the week before, I probably wouldn't keep David Martin there because there's a massive difference between the two, I, I would say. Even though my jury is still a little bit out on Fabianski, there is a massive difference between the two. I'd put Fabianski back in because it's so clearly different. David Martin might not have had much to do in that win. This is the keeper. Uh, then I would maybe make the change, but but when it's like, do you arguably, arguably, and I'm not saying I agree with this. I keep stressing the word arguably is as good as Ogbonna as a defender. He's just got form. Then whereas Ogbonna's on form, then you need to then you need to sort of manage it differently because you is in two years' time, do you will be far more valuable to West Ham than Ogbonna will. So you, you kind of have to look at it long term as well. Um, it might not be a bad thing for Ogbonna to miss, miss like a few games anyway because of his age and fitness and stuff, you know. So I, I think I think I would keep you up in, and I hate saying that. And I know I'm going to get shit for it, mate. I know I am, but I just think what what incentive do these players have? Like if Lanzini had came in against Sheffield United and played a blinder, I would have kept him in for Tottenham, but he didn't. He didn't, in my opinion. So therefore, he needs to prove himself again uh, and again and again. Um, and now Ben Rama or Fornells or whoever has got a chance to be that person to prove to prove it. And I think it keeps people motivated, keeps them motivated in training to show that they're better. Take, for example, this, right, without, again, meaning to name drop, but I know a player reasonably well. I know a family member of a player reasonably well. He's not a source. Tells me fuck all. However, I do know a family member of a player very well who's on the fringes of West Ham's team, right? They, um, but, like, I'm going to stress 100%, they do not tell me any info because they wouldn't, because it's not like that. But they, they, they're saying to their player... You need to go into training every single game and prove yourself in training. Run around. Don't be afraid to tackle. Get stuck in. Keep performing. Keep performing. And then get yourself onto the bench at West Ham. And then when you're on the bench, hopefully you'll get five, ten minutes here or there. Then you need to prove yourself. You need to show that you can do it. And then you build on that. Whereas if you're going to say to the player, to be fair, they're having a good season. Doesn't really matter what you do. As soon as they're back fit, you're going to be out again. What incentive does that player have? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but then you're also talking about bringing a player in like that who might come in and do very well, but it's going to be at the detriment of someone who's been exceptional all season. He's classed as one of your best players, but he's just unlucky enough to miss a week or two through injury. I just don't know how you can justify keeping your best players out, and I must stress this, 
when they're in form. Because when they're not in form, that is a completely different story. But when they're in form and they're at top of their game, one of our top performers, I, you know, I think people breaking through at West Ham, the fringe players, the youngsters, they understand the pecking order of performers. And I think they understand that either they're going to be good enough to play for West Ham or they're not. And they can train every single day to get as good as they possibly can be. And they're either going to crack it or they're not. Declan Rice, prime example. At one point, you know, he wasn't going to get a sniff when he was a kid at West Ham, but he trained and trained and trained, got better and better and better, and then played well, but didn't just play well, outperformed the people around him. So then he leapfrogged those players to become one of our best players. So I don't think it's a case of putting a fringe player in and if he has a good game, keep him there to the detriment of one of our top performers. I think you have to play your best players if they're available, if they're in form, which Bonner and Antonio are. Let's take it to you. you, That's a fair point. I I don't disagree with you. This is why management's bloody hard. You have to get the balance between the two. But let's take you, for example, in your job, right? I mean, I know your job's not entirely like this. I'm going to make it a little bit fictional but let's say your job's commission based yeah and you you get so i know you, someone takes a week's holiday or whatever and you get put into a position where you absolutely smash it they're more the person that you're replacing is more senior they've gone it's a commission it's a res- commission based job so like a results based job yeah like football um and you've got in you've got in for a week you've absolutely smashed it you've paid you've made loads of sales you've done brilliant and then the fellow waltzes back in from holiday and yeah they're they're doing well but yeah, and they're still doing getting sales in and stuff, but say you've done arguably better or just as good, where does your head go if every time that happens, you just have to go back to what you were doing before, back to what you were doing before? You'd start to look for a move, wouldn't you? You'd start to think, well, I can do what they can do. I, I need to look elsewhere for a move, or I need to start kicking up a fuss because I've shown that I'm as able as they are. And I, and, and I think that can also be applied to football in, in that respect. And it's a real hard balancing out because like I said if I'm voting hammer of the year of Bono is probably who I'm going to vote for probably but like if it's I don't know it's that whole winning thing for me and 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 that does come from a little bit like if I relate it back to my experiences as well in football you know I've never been a very good player coaching not too bad and so yes if I had a player that was out like because I did youth football, had a player that was out for some reason, and then I put someone else in and we won. But this player was a million times the best player, clearly my best player. Yes, we did well without him, but clearly my best player. That player comes in. But if I've got like two or three players that are, you know, like there or thereabouts of each other, um, but, but the two are playing really, really well, and then the third comes in and plays one, and the other one's out. When there's not that much difference in ability, I think that's when you have to keep the form going. Yeah, I understand. Uh, if there's not much difference in terms of ability, that, that gives the manager a nice problem to have. And this is what we're discussing, by the way. They're nice problems to have. And I'm over yeah. the moon that this is a talking point, to be honest. But I think if you're Issa Diop, you're a professional getting paid a hell of a lot of money. You're not stupid. You know the the two centre halves typically, which is Bonner and Dawson, are on fire. So you know, at the very top level, getting paid handsomely like you are, if one of them get injured, you're going to come in. And when you come in as a professional, you want to do the best you possibly can do 
Because obviously, you know, you want to save face because there's been a lot of doubters with the He's been slated at times, but you also want a chance at competing against these two. But for me, if I was the up, I'm coming in to do a job and I'm filling the shoes of someone that's been incredible for West Ham. If that player who's been incredible comes back in, I mean, I'm going to accept that. Because to be honest, in Diop's heart of hearts, I think he will know that he's not as good as a bonnet. Okay, well, you say... Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think he is. Okay, I mean, well, yes, yes, he hasn't had many opportunities. When he first came to West Ham, he was brilliant. Then he's gone off the rails for quite a while now. And yes, when you're talking about value with age and all that kind of stuff, I get that entire argument. But when you're looking at week in, week out, consistent performers versus a man in a bonnet that's been there and done it at Serie A title winning level, at international winning level, yeah. Premier League winning level, potential hammer of the year contender. How can you replace that man who's fully fit by a man who's come in and had one good game for West Ham? Well, the argument too, firstly, this one's the minor argument, is that Ogbonna was massively off four months upon a time and, yeah. we, and we wanted to sell him. You and I on this podcast said we didn't rate him anymore and we'd sell him. Mm-hmm. If we had done, if we, if we'd done that with him, like, like you're potentially suggesting with Diop, then we wouldn't have the Ogbonna we've got now. And the other thing I would say is look at Dawson. When people signed Dawson, they were like, why the fuck have we signed a defender that's been relegated two seasons in a row? He's shit. We don't want him. Why Why have we signed him? Then when he got his first start against, was it Sheffield United or Southampton or whoever it was, that first start, and uh, everyone's like, fucking hell, why is Dawson in the team? Why is he being put in the team? And then he goes and plays brilliant. Well, I say brilliant. He played well that first game. And then, and then if we'd just done what you're suggesting, because I think Duke was fit, after that, because I think it was COVID-related, if I remember correctly, if we'd just done what you're suggesting, Dawson would have been out. And we would never would have known we'd have this player that we've got now. And then second game, Dawson plays really, really well, absolutely smashes it. Let's say players back fit again, um, you take him out. So we would never have known Dawson is as good as he is now. But we, the reason we know is because Dawson came in, having not played for like three months or whatever it was at West Ham, played well and built on the success. And now, <laughs> randomly, but but understandably, people are talking about him getting in the England team. Now, had we not persisted with that reign of run of form, then we would never, ever have the player that we've got now. It's the same as Cresswell. You know, Cresswell, people wanted him out of the club. You know, he's useless. Get rid of him. Last season, Cresswell was slated. Okay, but he got his chance again and he started to perform. And I think, you know, you would never have known Dawson is the player he is now if he, if he hadn't done what I'm suggesting to do and reward people based upon form. True, but with Dawson, when he came in at West Ham, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't replace anyone that was shit up for West Ham, did he? Like there was no Abonna. He's, the central half pairing was up in the air, wasn't it, at that point? Would it be Balbuena? You know, yeah. would it be Dawson? Would it be Diop? So he's not coming in to replace someone that's irreplaceable. In my opinion, Agbonna, the way he's been playing, is irreplaceable. So it was a bit of a roulette as to who was going to play next to Agbonna. And they happened to pick Dawson, no doubt, because he was he was brilliant on the training pitch. He's come in and done a fantastic job. So I think that's a bit of an isolated example. Um, Creswell, you know, he hasn't come in and replaced anyone as such. as It's just kudos to the manager that he's got the best out of him. As the forward, you know, had he, Antonio as a forward, had he mm-hmm. not scored that first game or whatever, he was played up front by Moyes, would he have then just put, had a, an air in? 
oh, oh, and if Antonio had scored and then he put a layer in, then, I mean, that that's the, the other example. By definition, if you was to take their careers and the money spent and the hype and everything else, Hilaire should have been our forward and not Antonio. If you if you go on what the best player is, I mean, I don't agree that Hilaire was the best player, but, no, but if you look right. at... Yeah, but if you look at what lots of people were saying, Hilaire was a better player than Antonio. So did if we just persisted with the fact that Hilaire was a better player than Antonio, then we would never would have known that Antonio could score like he has done now. I I, I totally understand what you're saying about Ogbonna. I totally get it. And I feel dirty and bad not putting him straight back in. But the, and I and I would I'm not even 100% sure that I wouldn't put him straight back in. But there's certainly, certainly, I'd have to look at it on the training. I'd have to speak to my coaches. I'd maybe have a word with the captain, see what he said before I came to that decision. Because I do think it is a lot closer than you're perhaps suggesting. Mm, that's interesting. Because for me, the op's always been about potential. And he's come in and had one good game. And you're now saying against someone who's been consistent now for two seasons, it's a close call. On the back of 90 minutes. In terms of, no, in terms of their actual ability, because we've seen Ogbonna be very, very ropey at times before, where we've called for him to be sold. We've Mm. we've seen times where Diop has been amazing. We talk about him being a £50 million signing when he first came to us. So both Ogbonna and Diop have gone through patches where they've been brilliant and where they haven't been. If you look at their actual attributes as a centre-back, I would say that they are very, very similar. In terms of attributes, they're both quite strong. They're both good in the air. I think Ogbonna probably reads the game better, but then Duke's probably got more pace. You know, if you look at their actual attributes as a centre-back, taking out form and things like that, I wouldn't say there's too much difference between their attributes, but I think they're both very form-based players. And yes, at the moment, Ogbonna's been on a rich frame of form over two years, arguably now, where he's been brilliant, you know, and and he is, like I said, hammer of the year for me, probably. Um, but Diop, I think, has those attributes, but I also think he has age on his side. So if you're saying to me which one's the best one, like I said, to keep, to, to work on and try and get to form, as much as it's horrible to say about Ogbonna, it's Diop. And that's why the argument's there. Now, listen, I'll be in the minority on this. I know I will. And then I'm pre- pre- perfectly prepared for that. I love Dave's opinion comments that come every time we have one of these debates. Um, but, <laughs> no, no, I don't mean that's true. No, it's true, mate. It's very it true. It's like, Dave speaks so much sense. I love Dave. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just all the other accounts that I create and post. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I've got a picture that I like don't... I don't see too many people saying yeah, that. There is, um, there is, but but I think um, I think it is um, it's a close call, and I, and it's a, and like I said, you know, when the when the uh, the managers say, "Oh, it's an absolutely nightmare decision," and I think it is a nightmare decision, but it's a hypothetical decision because Ogbonna's out for a month anyway, so it's all, yeah. it's almost irrelevant. So in a month's time, we'll know how good Diop's been and if Diop hasn't been sensational for the next three, four weeks then I'm bringing Ogbonna back in. Yeah, yeah. I mean it is, don't get me wrong, it is massively based on form but when you was making a point earlier where, you know, someone like Diop comes in and gets their chance, plays fantastically well, then gets dropped is he not then going to be pissed off and start looking at other options? You imagine if you're a Bonner and you've played your best week in, week out for two years and you get dropped for one game through no fault of your own 
and you don't get back into that side. I'd be more inclined to say, well, fuck you. If I was a Bonner, then I would do the odd. I think it's the culture that you create in the club. Now, when Moyes came in, Moyes showed them statistics that they were like the third lowest um, amount of kilometres covered in matches. They were the third lowest amount of tackles, the third lowest amount of possession and stuff. And I think he's saying to them, look, lads, this is changing. We're going to be at the top for possession. We're going to be at the top for um, yards covered. We're going to be at the top for this, we're going to be at the top for this. And we are creating a winning mentality. In order to create a winning mentality, if you play well, well, for me and you come in, no matter what the circumstances, and you perform, you keep your place. I, I think that creates that whole winning philosophy. Whereas if you say, doesn't matter if you come in and win um, uh, and play really, really well, if I think the other fellow's better than you, you're out. I just don't think it creates that winner's mentality, in my opinion. But there you go. Neither you or I are football managers. It's down to David Moyes. And, uh, well, it's, it's very true. what he uh, would do in that scenario. It's very true. And, you know, I think it's going to be interesting for people to listen to this because it kind of, it does spark that debate. And it's good because, like I said earlier, we do agree on a hell of a lot on this show, but sometimes we don't. And it does spark that opinion. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a really good talking point. I believe you should play your best players if they're in form. And you believe that if someone comes in and plays their best and does very well, you shouldn't change a winning team. Is there necessarily even a wrong answer? Maybe not. No, I don't think there is a wrong answer. I think it depends on the manager. I think it depends on the culture of the club. I think it depends on lots of things. Don't get me wrong. If there's a massive difference in quality, you know, <clears throat> if they have another player that I don't particularly, I don't rate Haller, right? If Haller came in and had one good game, actually, you know, that's not even true because I probably would have said stick with him to try and give him some confidence. I like, if there's an obvious massive difference between the players, then I wouldn't then I wouldn't um, do it. Let's just say, if it was like, I don't know, Ogbonna and who's a shit sense about we've had over the years. Um, yeah, it's like your pick. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it was, <laughs> oh, I don't know, like Og, Ogbonna and Raggy Sommer or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, or Rigobert Song or something like that. Then, of course, I would say, yeah, there's obvious difference here. You, you might have had a good game, mate, but... Clearly, Ogbonna's better than you, but when I that when I think it's marginal in who's the better player, that's when it becomes an issue. Anyway, let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, let, let's just agree that you agree with me. Right, okay. <laughs> oh, we, we do, Dave. I love you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I kiss you, Dave? <laughs> we, we've got to talk about Ben Johnson because once again, he was fantastic, X, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. And I thought I thought he just played so maturely, which I think is really good for his age. He's got he's got all the attributes you look for. He's got pace, he's got uh, reads the game well, he can get past people, he tracks back, he's got good technical ability, he's got good attitude, and you can see now why, mate, and I said this on Twitter, but you can see why they weren't that bothered about keeping Ngakia because they always maintained that Johnson was the better player. Credit to Mark Phillips and Steve Potts. He was a central midfielder. I don't know if people knew this. He was a central midfielder for much of his career. And Dave Hunt brought him to the club. They, um, there was a period when people, as a midfielder, didn't rate Johnson and thought his time was probably up. But he was converted to a fullback. And it was there that he showed the qualities he's got. And I think this guy is a potential England international. He reminds me of Glenn Johnson. You know, Glenn Johnson only played for us, what, 12 times, something like that, in the season that we got relegated and then left and had the career that he had afterwards with Liverpool and Chelsea and so on. Um, and I mean, he reminds me of him. I think, I think he's a really, really good player. 
Outstanding, outstanding. He, he just looks so composed on the ball as well. And um, he looks like he's been playing for us for years. Uh, he has. He's been at the club since he was seven. But yeah. actual first-team yeah. football, yeah. Uh, he looks so composed. And uh, I really like him. I'm a massive fan of his. Massive fan. Uh, our Patreons gave the man of the match of all to Jesse, who, as we've said, was once again superb. This might be impossible to answer, but do you think he'd be open to making his move permanent? Or is he just putting himself in the shop window for a bigger club? Uh, this is in my section, this bit again, but um, I think... Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so I think I think he would be open to stay. He looks really, really happy with us. He seems to have really, really, um, you know, getting on well with the lads. Uh, I think, yeah, I think I think he is good. I've just thought of something about that winning team thing. I don't want to harp back. I'm just going to say one quick point. I'm just going to leave it. And I know that the listeners are going to be like, oh, God, here we go again. But you mentioned Johnson there. In for what he came on as a sub against uh, Man United, played against Sheffield United. You're saying how amazing you thought he's been in those games. Technically, um, Maseraku was brilliant before that, um, but he's been out injured. Um, you're telling me Johnson goes out and Maseraku comes in, basically on your theory. Anyway, that's the final concluding point. <laughs> well, you don't want me to answer that. <laughs> Not really. I just thought I just think that's a good way to, to conclude. That is such a fucking X thing to do. It's unbelievable. <laughs> just get the last word. Well, for the sake of our patrons not just fucking dropping by the hundreds, I'll let you have that last word. But let me tell you, I did have an answer for that. <laughs> but, but, but moving swiftly on, for the sake of everyone, Sandy. <laughs> um, Ravel Morrison recently did a podcast with Rio Ferdinand and said that his most enjoyable time during his career was at West Ham. I believe he's currently a free agent and it sparked a little bit of a debate as to whether we should take him back. Would you take him back? Um, yeah, it's a really... It's, it's, I think there's this like affiliation with Ravel Morrison because of how good he was in the short period of time he was with us, notably that Tottenham goal. And, and we all know what a talent he, he was. And hearing that story about Big Sam, I knew anyway. It was a story, I think, if you look back, I think I wrote about it at the time. I mean, you have to go back, like, whatever, eight years. It is now, but I'm, I, I remember because I spoke to his agent about it. Um, so I remember that story being around. I remember it being something that happened and something that I wasn't happy with. And yes, it's sad how that kind of potentially put an end to his West Ham career. And you can't help but think, had he stayed at West Ham, what would have happened? However, since then, he's played for Lazio. He's played in Mexico. He's played in Holland. He's played for Middlesbrough. He's played for Sheffield United. And every one of these teams has bummed him out, right? And there's... And I, and I feel for him because he hasn't necessarily got the mental capacity to deal with life as a footballer. Um, and I do feel for him because he's obviously a clearly talented player, but it's not like he bummed out at West Ham two years ago, has had an OK career since then, could possibly come back. He's been out of the game since West Ham for about seven years, getting released and released is the right word by teams worse than us. So mm. are we really that desperate to take back a player now, 28, 29, that's basically been failed for the last six years? I don't think we are. And as much as the, the heart in me thinks, oh, he's a free transfer. He was so skillful. He was so talented. If only he could capture that form. 
you know, and he was friends with Lingard as well, so maybe that would help. But I just, I just think, you know, if he was, if he could do it, he would have done it by now somewhere else. Well, the three things that I took away from that show was he doesn't realise how good he is when you listen to yeah. him talk. He's not yeah. as confident as people assume that he is, yeah. and. He doesn't take life as seriously as he should do, which could come down to the lack of a father figure in his life. And I think that might even have been discussed, which would make a lot of sense. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we've often said that you can have all the talent in the world, but if your head isn't right, then it counts for nothing. And Ravel is a prime example. Um, Whilst I think he's generally well liked where he goes, Moyes is running a very tight ship at West Ham. So I'm not sure it's a good idea to have someone turn up who's late for training, for example. Or just doesn't yeah, turn that, up at all. What what does that show the youngsters? What does that show the first teamers that are getting there early? Exactly. I mean, the whole side of that story now, obviously, Ravel's given his side of the story as you would when you went on an in, uh, on an interview like that. And yes, what they do with the agent is you have to be very careful talking about this because I think since then, again, this is coming in my section, but since then, Allardyce and. Um, Curtis, Mark Curtis is the agent, have been are very unhappy with it, with those allegations, and are actually going to contemplate legal action, I think. So I have to be a little bit careful what I say here. Not that I think they've come for us, but you never know. We've had the Beatles come for us before. So <laughs> I, won't, I, won't speak, I won't speak too soon, but um, I think... Um, I think um, I think there was another side to the story, as in Ravel was always like, often late for training when it was a Christmas period. They were due to play somewhere. I can't remember where. It's in, it's in Allardyce's autobiography, actually. And I know that's from him. So obviously that's the other side of the story and the story that I have heard from a number of other people as well. They were due to play um, somewhere. They're all meant to meet up on the coaches or the airport or whatever to get to the away game. And, and Morrison wasn't there. They tried calling him, tried calling him. They couldn't get through to him. Um, eventually, they got through to him about two days later. He was like, no, I don't fancy it. I'm staying in Manchester for Christmas. And they were like, mate, you're a professional footballer. You know, you, you can't just take time off like that. And he's like, oh, well, I'm doing it. And I think... You know, there was that side of story as well. Then there was a time when he had to have a lot of time out because he had a tooth problem, which which I don't think was handled 100% correctly either. So I do think there's two sides to the story. Don't get me wrong. I think what Allardyce and Curtis did, allegedly, if they did that, it's disgusting um, to try and manipulate a young person's career like that for self-gain. However, there is another side to the story too that I just don't think, like you said, with boys running a tight ship, saying these players, you are going to work hard for this club. You're going to be proud to play for this club. You're going to do this, that, the other. I just don't think bringing someone in like that is worth it. Like I said, if he'd gone to whoever, if he'd gone to Lazio and it hadn't worked out there for two years or something, and then and then we're talking about him coming back to West Ham, I'd be more open to it. But he's had six, seven years, I say, it loosely, but bumming around elsewhere. Yeah. So, Well, he was asked about this. I don't know if you've seen the interview, X. No, I haven't. I've just seen the highlights of it. Yeah, so he was asked as to why he's had so many clubs and why he hasn't done it at these clubs with the ability that he's got. And the answer that he gave was that he believes that his reputation precedes him and clubs don't want to commit to anything longer than, say, a six-month contract. And he said, by the time you get in and you catch up with fitness and you embed yourself in the culture and get used to your pals and get match fitness under your belt, he said, your contract's up. 
it's it's a, ultimately I think what he was alluding to is I need a, a side to buy into me and give me a two or three year deal so that I'm comfortable I have a future somewhere and then I can give a hundred percent to the Coles. I mean, again, make of that what you will, but it's it sparked uh, quite a bit of debate. And I don't know if I should say this, and fuck it, I, I will say it because um, I don't know if it's appropriate really. But it has been rumoured, and you might be able to shed some light on this, X, that he is potentially on the spectrum for something like autism to a degree yeah, yeah. to yeah, a degree and that would explain some of his behavior and i know this yeah. is a really strange analogy right a really strange analogy but a neighbor of mine they're a lovely family i think the world of them they've got this little boy who's a cracking little kid and he is a wizard when it comes to maths I mean, the kid is a walking calculator. The, the a talent of autism to be well, particularly... It is. It, it, is. it is. And and he's incredible in that area. But at school, he's a bit of a nightmare because I just don't think he's used to these standards uh, that society have set him with how he's made yeah. as an individual. And like he's a wizard with maths, Ravel is a wizard with a football. But I just sometimes don't think that life... And the expectations of life in a role like that go together with that talent. So I think that makes mate, sense. Mate, you think, I mean, without giving too much away, but think about my profession and stuff. There's no way I would discriminate against anyone that has any um, disabilities at all. And I believe that you should mm. support anyone based on, you know, ability, creed, background, whatever, um, so, so that they can reach their potential. And yeah, I agree, there's probably a fundamental problem in football whereby he hasn't been supported as much as he should do. And that's why, if you think back to our Ray Winston interview, the agency that he and um, Gary and others are setting up uh, is is really good because they're looking at it being a supportive thing to the player, not just as a footballer, but as a person. And I think, you know, having spoke to Matty Everington and players like that, there has never been enough support for footballers. You're either a footballer or you're not, basically. And if you don't make it as a footballer, then we'll see you later. And mm. I don't think there's the support. And I agree. And I really feel sorry for Ravel Morrison. I 100% do agree with, with that. However, I mean, I've brought up his career here. You know, he says that no one's had a chance to buy into him, but the clubs that he's played for since West Ham, you know, he, he I mean, two of them he was on loan at from West Ham, actually, three of them, but he was at Birmingham, Queen's Park Rangers, Cardiff, Queen's Park Rangers again, at, Atlas, which was the Mexican team, Ostersund, which I think was a Swedish team, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, and Adu Den Haag in Holland. So, we're not even talking decent teams here, we're talking like championship level teams. If you can't go in with the ability that he's got. Whatever, whatever other baggage you've got on, if you just take it as a pure footballing ability, if he and I've got coaches at West Ham that tell me he is by far the best player they've ever seen. You know, coaches that are still there oh, yeah. tell me that. And um, you know, so but if you can't go to those clubs with that footballing ability and make them think, you know what? Yeah, he's got baggage. Yeah, he's not one hundred percent fit. Yeah, we can have some issues here, but bloody hell, he's that good. If you can't be that good at Middlesbrough, or Cardiff, or Ostiansund, or Adu Den Haag, then really, are you going to be able to do that at a team that's challenging for Champions League? 
and the answer's no, you know, and, uh, and as sad as that is, and I hope football changes, and I hope it changes so that people like him, with the needs that they have, get support on the best kids I've ever, ever, ever coached, right? That was, and it was one of my first few years of coaching when I was like in my early 20s and stuff, it was district level, and he was like such a good player. He had severe learning difficulties. He had ADHD. He used to take Ritalin, which was the drug prescribed for it. I don't know if it still is now, but it certainly was then. He used to have to take injections before the game. He was just like an absolute ball of energy. You could even, you, like, even doing a team talk was hard work because I just couldn't get him to concentrate or to listen for long enough to, to understand the tactical side of it. But his actual natural ability was phenomenal. He'd get the ball and he would just run and he would just beat people constantly and just bang it in constantly. He was such a good player, but he was so hard to manage because he just wouldn't stick to formations. He wouldn't you know follow instructions in terms of the team you know if he got wound up by the opposition he'd start fighting with them and it was and it was really 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 hard to manage him but he was technically the best player I've ever seen and I tried to get him into clubs and he had trials at clubs and he got into them for like it's very similar to Ravel he got into them and he just couldn't he just couldn't Fit in. He just couldn't fit into the system and the tactical side of it, and it's and it's so sad because actually now to to make this story even more depressing, I think he's actually in prison. Last I heard, um, so he obviously went completely off the rails in life and couldn't couldn't ever get to what he should have been. He should have been a professional footballer because people I've managed at district level have gone on to be professional footballers. There's ones that have played in the Premier League and stuff, um, but they were never as talented as what he was, but. Unfortunately, with football, you've also got to have a discipline. You know, it's the same way on the flip side. People like Lampard and Declan Rice have made it because technically they might not have started that good, but they had the mentality to be able to get there long term. Um, and I feel very, very sad for Ravel. And I hope that at some point in life, he'll be able to do something where he can show his potential and his talent. And that interview did make me sad. I felt, God, you should have been supported better than you were, mate. But I don't think at 28, 29, um, selfishly, West Ham is the place for that to happen now. Mm. I know. It's a very strange story, isn't it? The case of Ravel Morrison. It really is. And, it? uh, it's, it's sad. Like, it is. Like when he was breaking through at Man United, they rated him better than Lingard and Pogba. And look at the careers that they, those two have had in comparison to Ravel. You know, Rio at the time, and I think Skulls maybe, said he's the best young player they've ever played with. They all, Ferguson went and got players, the first team was to come and watch him play for the academy because he was that good. You know, mm. and to have that many people looking at you. And, you know, we saw glimpses of that for West Ham. There were some games where I was like, bloody hell, he is talented. But, yeah, it is sad. It is really, really sad, unfortunately. Mm. Well, let's hope he gets a club soon, because otherwise a dog and duck in them are going to have one hell of a player on it, Rance, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, OK. Sunday, we play those rats from North London. Given their firepower up front, do you think Moyes will stick with five at the back or because we're at home, return to back four? Uh, I don't know, you know. I, I don't know. I, I think 
I would stick with the five because again, like he did it against Sheffield United and it worked. So it's yeah, probably more likely to use it against a better team. And obviously Tottenham are. I mean, there's rumours that I've heard. I don't know how true they are because I haven't actually bothered to research them. There's rumours that Kane might be out for the game. I'm not entirely sure if that's true or not, but I've seen it on. Uh, people have been messaging me on Twitter and stuff. Apparently, some Tottenham ITK said it, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know who the ITK is either. But if 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 he's out, that will obviously be massive for us. But I think you, you go you go the same team against Sheffield United. The only players uh, sorry against Tottenham from Sheffield United. The only players that are going to be fit from that that you didn't have before are Antonio and Balbuena. Well, Balbuena doesn't come back in to, for me. He's on the bench. And then the debate is, do you take Lanzini out? Um, would be my question. And if so, do you put Antonio up front and then maybe put Bowen and Lingard on the wings? Or do you keep Antonio on the subs bench, maybe take Lanzini out and possibly put Ben Rama or Fornells in? That would be the debate for me. And I'd also want to see just how fit Antonio is. I'd want to see, is he... Is he going to come in and just look off the pace and be worried about his hamstrings? Or is he 100% fit? Because unless he's 100% fit, I wouldn't bring him in either. I don't have him on the subs bench. So I would stick with the five, yeah. Mm, I think you're right. I think you're right. And it, it just makes us very hard to break down as a five. And you've got two central midfielders. And it's so important that those two are box-to-box midfielders because, yeah, you know, they're, yeah. they're not in a central three. Typically, they're not in a central three. So you yeah. need that fitness. You need that engine. You need to be able to defend. You need to be able to attack. There's so much responsibility on those two players. So to have them fit, I think it enables us to have a little bit more flexibility in other areas. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would like to see Ben Rama. You know, I, I, I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's growing yeah. every single week at West Ham. Lingard, yeah. amazing. Antonio, if he is fit, amazing. Um, Bowen, I think, you know, he's a bit of a bit of an unsung hero. His work rate is just, it certainly doesn't escape my attention. We've got such mm. a good group of lads there, but tactically, mm. you have to get it right game by game. And to be fair to Moyes, he has more often than not. So whatever he goes yeah. with, I will trust his judgment. Um, yeah. Predi- predictions, mate, for Sunday? Oh, gosh, that is really tough, isn't it? Um... Shall I kick us off this week? Because you normally yeah. go first. Yeah, go on, yeah. I do think it's going to be a tough game, as it often is. I can't see us losing it. I can potentially see us winning it, but I am going to go for a more reserved prediction of a one-all. That's funny, because one-all was my um, heart. No head. One-all was head. Um, But heart was 2-1 West Ham. And that was what I was toying up between, whether I go with my head, which thinks you're getting carried away with how good West Ham are, um, (laughs) or do I I go with my heart, which wants West Ham to win against Tottenham and it'd be amazing. So I'm really torn. So I am so torn on that. I, I think, though, I would probably, if I'm being realistic and being... Truthful, I think uh, it'll be one all as well. Yeah, okay. Would you take that? God, that's a good question as well. Stop giving good questions. <laughs> that's, what people, that's what people argue with me. Um, um, would I take it? Oh, I don't know. Because I really want us to go for the win because we are actually better than Spurs at the moment. <laughs> we are a better team and we're on form. So if we're not going to go and beat them now, then when are we ever going to go and beat them? But a draw at home to them would keep them still 
was it six points or something ahead behind us, something like that. Amazon were looked 36, 42, yeah, six points, but they've got a game in hand. Um, uh, yes, I probably would take it. I wouldn't be like getting with Dreamers Spurs. That was a good. That's a good result. But I probably if I probably would take it if he said to me now it'd be one or what what you're saying. I'd probably say I'll go on then. But mm. not excitedly. Yeah, no, spot on. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, no, I mirror what you said. I mirror yeah. what you said. Um, yeah, I would reluctantly accept it. I, I, the way that we're playing, the players that we've got, potentially if Harry Kane's out as well, I do think we're the better side. I think we're the better side to watch this season, to be honest. And we're at home. Whether that counts for much without fans these days, I don't know. But mm. I would, yeah, I would... I don't want to say expect to win, but I would be mildly, mildly disappointed with a draw, but would accept yeah. it. Right, it is that time again. X, he's the man in the know. He keeps you in bonds on rain or snow. His opinion is in demand. There ain't another ITK that I can stand. To listen to the rest of this podcast, you need to be a patron of the West Ham Way. Becoming a patron couldn't be easier. Just visit www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the West Ham Way and confirm your subscription to get full access to the West Ham Way podcast, our second weekly show called the West Ham Way podcast, Extra Time, classic clips of audio and video interviews, exclusive news from X, match day team news before anyone else, an exclusive forum, live Q&As with myself and X, monthly prize draws, discounts on events and merchandise, and behind-the-scenes content, all of which for just £5 a month. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. Switching and saving with GEICO is easy, so you're free to ponder life's big questions. Like, why do people say it goes without saying and then say it anyway? I mean, if it really goes without saying... You should instead not say it and just give a knowing look? Well, folks, it goes without saying. Uh, what does? The thing that I'm not going to say. Okay. Switch and save with Geico. It's easier than you think. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.